Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to this episode of 20 Minute Tims. This is Classic Matches, and I'm joined by Stephen. Happy St. Patrick's Day, one and all, folks. And Melly. Ahoy. Ahoy, and I am your host, Jamie and Stephen. You, you nailed it. You called it. It's St. Patrick's Day. So what game might we be talking about on this episode? Well, we thought we'd go back and revisit the game affectionately known as the St. Patrick's Day Massacre from the 17th of March 1991. Celtic versus the Old Huns in a knockabout, <laughs> classic old... I mean, stereotypical old firm game, very much of the day. I mean, Melly, watching this. Now, Stephen, people might have recoiled a little when you said 1991, but this wasn't, this is just the beginning of the dreaded 90s period. This wasn't fully in the toilet that was 90s <laughs> Celtic. Um, but the football on display, Melly, could tell you another story because it was knockabout stuff. It was blood and snotters. There was not a slide rule pass or a through ball or a bit of finesse almost to be seen in this entire 90 minutes. No, none of your ticky-tacker pish. Just give it back to the <laughs> keeper and launch. Launch up as far as you can and go from there. Headers, tackles. Well, I hesitate to call some of them tackles because a lot of it's assault, but... <laughs> we'll get into that, yeah. Nice. <laughs> It reminded me, Stephen, do you remember these very popular TV shows in the 90s where people used to have to knock lumps out of each other for a colour television and to run down <laughs> the, the inflatable travelator and get bashed by big sumos and there was all that sort of... All that sort it's of, an knockout, was that? I, that I'm pretty this, sure, yeah. Yeah, is that what that was called? It's a, so this was like yeah. the football equivalent for me of it's a knockout <laughs> because it was... It, I mean, Melly did touch on it. There was some, what you might call, assaults. But overall... They, these were. This was not two teams who turned up to play football. A different era, of course. A very, very different era. I mean, <laughs> not to lay too many spoilers out there before we get into it, but no fewer than four red cards in this game. Mm. But the reason I say that up front is that not only were there four red cards, but the amount of tackles that should and would have been resulting in a red card in this day and age, in today's money, is staggering. We're lucky we had anyone left to, to turn the lights off from Celtic Park, to be honest. There was absolutely there would have been nobody left had that game been played today. You say it was the it was the beginning of the nineties, so at this point we're only just under two years from Celtic's last trophy. Mm. Unthinkable in this day and age. But then it I mean it was bad, but it wasn't quite crisis level yet. We'd won the Scottish Cup in nineteen eighty nine, had been to the Scottish Cup final the year after as well, but had lost in penalties to Aberdeen might even be the game that triggered the dreaded 90s having lost in penalties to Aberdeen. But at this point, it wasn't quite the, as you say, the toilet that the 90s become. There was still a little bit of optimism probably. Celtic had some decent players. Just at the start of this season, Celtic had signed John Collins, who you know, went on to be an absolutely fantastic player. There are one or two gems there. We'll get into the lineup, of course. Not exactly a vintage 11 no. for Celtic, but there are good players in there. So we hadn't quite sunk to the the full lows of the, the 90s yet when this game was played 
there was still a further four years until Celtic would win a trophy again. Four years, making it six in total. Just imagine it. So this was actually the Scottish Cup quarterfinals and Celtic had beaten Fourth Athletic and St Mirren to get here. We're playing Rangers who hadn't actually won the trophy for 10 years. Unbelievable. Rangers yeah. have won the Scottish Cup for 10 years. I, I didn't realise that until I went back to rewatch this game. They'd beaten Dunfermline Athletic and Kevin Beath and you, and you touched on it. This team, this Celtic team here was not vintage. What, mm. the, the Rangers team as well. I, I wouldn't even call this Rangers team particularly vintage but the, the Celtic team, Pat Bonner, Darius Dufcek, Anton Rogan, Famously, who Brendan Rodgers named his son after. Peter Grant, Paul Elliott, Derek White, Joe Miller, Paul McStay, Tommy Coyne, Jerry Craney and John Collins all started the game. Yeah, look, Celtic, this is the sort of start of it, but Celtic going to this game fourth in the league, I think they're 14 points behind Rangers, so it is quite a distance. It's Aberdeen and Dundee United split the two of them in there, but Celtic going to this game, 10 games unbeaten and having only conceded one goal in their last nine games, so they are picking up a wee bit of form coming into the game. Dreadful season to this point. I think you're right, Mel. I think Celtic had only won 12 games by this point, which was March. March the 17th had only won 12 league games, I'm pretty sure, which is ropey. To say the least, very <laughs> very ropey. Yeah. But it was a bit better standard than it is these days. Yeah, well, that's very true. Aberdeen and the United were much better, but you know, again, very difficult to compare it to today because of the success that Celtic have most recently had. But imagine, just imagine being in March having only won twelve games and been two years on from your nearest trophy and been four years away from your next one. They'd already lost twice to Rangers and drawn once in the league. And Rangers had also beaten Celtic in the League Cup final between the two in October as well. So this is actually the fifth Old Firm game of the season. Celtic haven't won none of them so far. So, yeah, grim days. Paul Elliott's in the starting lineup. He wasn't at Celtic for long. Two seasons we got out of him, but we'll see how he gets on later in the game. But I was looking forward to seeing how he, how he plays because my dad always, anytime Celtic signed a centre-half, it was always... Mm, he's no Paul Elliott well, aye, of course he's not the best defender you've seen in the last 20 years of course he's not so it'd be good to see him and this was it when I was started supporting Celtic Paul McStay was coming to the end of his career now you could tell he was a great player but this is vintage McStay this is McStay mm. sort of at his peak as well mm. so it's good to see him and Tommy Coyne and Jerry Craney aren't the best strikers in the world but I don't think they were flops at all either there were decent strikers who had a decent pedigree but they're just not the big names we're used to so I was interested to see how they get on I think we all do that to an extent don't we I think every generation does that we are unable to talk about defenders today without mentioning Van Dyke. even yeah. no matter how tenuous the link is even I mean Christopher Ayer is a cracking player but he's absolutely no Virgil van Dijk just yet but we are unable to do that we need to frame them I feel like Every generation has one of those standout centre-halves and it just so happened Paul Elliott was the best one until maybe Mark Reaper came along mm-hmm. about 10 years later and then after that it was, it was probably Van Dyke. So I think it's like every 10, 15 years we get that kind of standout defender that everyone is held against. So how long is that we need to wait now before we get another Van Dyke? What, f- five years? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> the clock's ticking. Any day now. Any day now. <laughs> Any day now. The, the next Van Dyke should arrive. The Rangers team, as I touched on, they weren't a, a vintage Rangers team either, but it was still a strong, strong Rangers mm. team. A lot of Englishmen in the team that was identified in the pre match. They had Chris Woods and Goal, Gary Stevens, Stuart Monroe, Richard Goff, Scott Nisbet, Terry Hurlock, Trevor Stephen, Ian Ferguson, Mark Haley, Mo Johnson, Mark Walters, Tom Cowan, and Peter Hustra also made up the Rangers 13. Well, this was the days, the early days of the David Murray era at Rangers. I think he had taken over in about 1988, 89-ish, and he had brought in Graham Souness. The reason that the team was full of Englishmen was this was towards the very end of English teams having been banned from Europe. Yeah. So Rangers took advantage of that by signing a lot of English-based players who couldn't play in Europe at the time. And even in that starting lineup, I think Woods, Stephen and Stevens had all been in the England squad for Italia 90 the year before. So it's a strong team they've got, despite it not being maybe necessarily the most glamorous of names. Speaking of not the most glamorous names, there's a guy in here who's going to play a big part, but Terry Harlock. Now, if you're <laughs> if you're looking for your archetypal hun and you wanted to draw one, this is maybe a bit longer here, this guy, but this is the sort of guy, like, the name Terry Harlock just screams hun as well. And, oh, Terry Hurlock, English guy. Wonder where they signed him from. If I could give you three guesses, 
Millwall would be in there, and yes, oh, course, he did sign course. from Millwall, of course. Terry Horlock, obviously, people might have heard his name before and not know my stuff. He was, he was a notorious hatch, football hatchet man. Oh, oh yeah. Um, f- he was voted the 23rd hardest player in football. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, the Times. Can you guess who's number one? Is it something stereotypical like Vinnie Jones or something like that? No, I didn't even, I don't know who this guy is. Um, and I can't even pronounce his surname. But it's not Stuart Pierce who came in second. It was Andoni. Hmm. I want to say Goicecha played for Goicecha? Yes. Is it something like that? Yes, yeah. played for Atletico, Atletico Bilbao. But the reason I bring it up was because number three was another ex Jair Frenchman. So also, also played for Marseille. Oh, Basil? Basil Bolly was number really? three. Really? Yeah. I part. never thought of Basil Bolly. Any excuse to bring up Basil Bolly's music career? Do you remember that? He had a, <laughs> no. he had a single with his teammate at the time, Chris Waddle. Oh, was that, as good a place. Was that Basil yeah. Bolly on it? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I think it was called We Got a Feeling. Hello, Chris, I remember Chris Waldo had a singer. I didn't realise Basil Bolly was his was his side man, but I Terry Harlock, 23rd hardest man in football. Apparently he used to tell everyone that when you met them. <laughs> yeah, well, Chris Waddle, he, he, he worked with uh, Glenn Hoddle as well, so it was, he was in demand. Maybe the pit bull of his day, Chris Waddle. It was always <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> someone featuring Chris Waddle. <laughs> Got so many references for the kids on this episode. And it's, it's probably worth noting just now that this game is very much before our times as well. Yeah. So we are kind of taking it in. That This is the oldest game we've ever spoken about on a podcast, apart from the 1967 final as well. And that's an awful lot more iconic than this. So we're, we're kind of taking this in as, as newbies as well. This game is near enough exactly six months after my first ever game. So I'm aware of everyone. I'm at the point, I know everybody's name I'm not following it fervently or anything like that, but I know who the players are. I'm, it's not like I'm looking up the results on teletext or anything like that. I'm I'm still nine at this point, but it's funny you should say that about Terry Hullock because all I knew about him back then as a kid was that he was this like, absolute hard man. And looking back at him now, he, he looks like a, a kind of bedraggled wolf from Gladiators. Yes, he, he's got that kind, of, mm. <laughs> that kind of horrible hair and all that as well. But I, just as Melly said, that the archetypal just standard hun absolute hun written all over him can I just say if you if this was your decade if you listen to this podcast and you are one of the guys that went to this game and you watched this game and you supported Celtic during this time and you still go to the games just now I just want to say thank you um, because <laughs> oh, yeah. because it must have been it must have been so easy to walk away with, with some of the stuff that was in show from this point oh. uh, the football and the, the barren periods of, of, of uh, success or lack of success that followed mm. this because by God, did I have a tough time watching this game? And that's the second time I've, <laughs> that's the second time I've mentioned it. So the day itself, 17th of March, St. Patrick's Day, 1991. Stephen, would you like to do what you always do for us when we talk about a classic <laughs> game and set the scene in terms of culture? Really places right in the heart of March 1991. In the UK, cinemas at the time was Kindergarten Cop, oh, DuckTales the movie, mm. <laughs> Dances with Wolves and The Godfather 3. Not a vintage moment for no, that. No, I was about to say, either. that sounds like, that sounds like <laughs> a period of time where they just wanted to dump all their stuff that wasn't good enough for the <laughs> summer. They just sort of dumped it Aye. in March by the sounds of it. Oh, that's a good question. Actually, what would the, what would be the, the big summer blockbusters of 91? That Maybe Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I think that was running about then as well, but that's, that would have been just after this game. No, Stephen, you're wrong. I just had a quick look there. 1990, summer of 1991, according to Wikipedia. You could have yourself Terminator 2, Judgment Day, oh. Boys in the Hood, terrific film, oh. Point Break, later remade oh. as which film? Fast and the Furious was, was a, was <laughs> a remake yeah. of, of, of Point Break. I thought you were going to mention that remake of Point Break that I yeah. refused to recognise. It was from about 2018 or oh, something like no. that and it just sank without a trace. <laughs> and also Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Those, oh, were, the, those, were, the, those were the sort of summer blockbusters of the time. The music charts feature the likes of Losing My Religion by R.E.M. Do the Bartman by Bart Simpson. (laughs) (laughs) The One and Only by Chesney Hawks. You Got the Love by, is it The Source featuring Candy Stan? Oh, yeah. Another one that has endured today. And the the number one on the day was not a memorable one. It was The Stonk 
by Hail and oh, Pace. Oh, Hail and Pace. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Hail and Pace. Well, I was going to say that. Now, to any younger listeners, Hail and Pace were a comedy duo from back then. And yeah. basically all I remember about them was that they were a kind of two-man war on comedic subtlety. Very much the kind of Mrs. Brown's boys of the day. They were, it was all kind of heavy-handed BBC level sketch comedy. Yeah, the, the, I mean the the phrase comedy is really getting stretched to its <laughs> limits there when you're describing hail and pace. You know they were kind of like used car salesmen that knew they. You know like the, you know they'd used car salesmen sketch out a tune the fat. Yeah, right. You bag a pakora scans doing that. That's hail and pace. <laughs> Those guys are hail and pace. That's my Aye. that's my impression of hail and pace. Anyway, enough of hail and pace. Let's get to the real comedy. This football game. Um, just before just before the match kicks off, I wanted to play a game of spot the liar because they do a couple of pre-game interviews. One with Pat Bonner, which is really good. He's talking yep. about how it's more in depth than you get nowadays from a footballer Pat Bonner talking about how they went away for a couple of days prepared for the game done their homework so they're all relaxed going into the tie and they hope that everything they've learned about Rangers is absorbed and they can just go and play their own game casual like and, and very controlled uh, and then Pat Bonner goes on to say it's a lovely dry day the weather's great there's no wind so it should be conducive to some football and then we get inside the stadium and Murdo McLeod is asked about the game and he's sitting in the stadium looking out the window and he's going, yeah, yeah, I'm expecting a few goals. It's blown a gale out there and it's and it's raining, so there's bound to be a few mistakes. It, these guys can't even agree on what the weather is like outside, no, so no. I want to know who's lying. What I learned from Pat Bonner's interview is that he never looked like a young man at any no, point. No. 30 years ago, he looks exactly the same as he does today. Now, you think that's a compliment, but really it's the other way around. He kind of looked like himself back then. He looked 60 when he was 30 or mm. whatever age he would, would have been at this game. A, a face of a man who eats a lot of root vegetables. <laughs> that's, yes. <laughs> if you know what I mean. You know what I like. That's, that's kind of what Pat Bonner looked like. Now you've already given the Rangers lineup for this game and it's, you know, it's strong without being mind-blowing. Nigel Spackman wasn't in the squad and he was a guy who was, uh, he had previously won the league with Liverpool in the late 80s as well. So a guy with a bit of pedigree but notable for his absence was Ali McCoist, who wasn't mm -hmm. in the 13 at all. And we should probably add just now that this was the days of two subs. There was yeah. only two subs. Yeah. You had a squad, a matchday squad of 13, which, you know, absolutely incredible. And we'll get into a bit of that in the game as well, because it meant that managers were forced into doing a, an awful lot more just shuffling about. So if they were forced into any kind of on-field change, you would just play a striker in midfield and that was it. That was his job now. You're in mid midfield now because he couldn't make any further subs. But Alan McCoyce wasn't in the squad and it's suggested that it, it was because he had an alleged altercation between him and Graham Souness after McCoy supposedly went to the Cheltenham Festival on his day off the previous <laughs> week. So he came back up the road as soon as was furious with him and dropped, dropped him for this game. Souness is obviously the manager, but... Doing most of the shouting on the sideline is old Walter Smith and the trackie mm. he has on is absolutely sensational. <laughs> the trackie and trainers combo is a belter. It's just hanging off from that big sort of, that shell suit sort of trackie you can yep. imagine. It was It was 1991, yep. <laughs> the, the thing, the, is it the ball boys as well? The, the thing they're wearing is incredible, that kind of neon yellow and green kind of shell suit looking top as well absolutely astonishing it sticks out a mile in the, the old Celtic Park of course Walter Smith another guy that never looked young either he still just no, looked no. Yeah. <laughs> Graham Souness was banned from the touchline for this game so that's why you know, Walter was doing most of the shouting but something Graham Souness kept getting into trouble for back then he kept butting heads with the beaks at the SFA because he was still interfering so he'd just be behind the dugout issuing instructions anyway so he would keep getting banned from the dugout, but he would just stand there and issue his instructions anyway. So those pencil pushers at SFA Hall didn't like it one bit. I think the fact that it was St Patrick's Day meant an awful lot to, to, the, to the fans. So maybe St Patrick was watching just a little bit that day and decided to give us a hand. So the game kicks off and right from the start, it's, well, the intentions are clear, aren't they, Melly? Oh, Terry Hullock's right at it from early on and <laughs> leaves one on Tommy Coyne who he takes an absolute pace in the day, plays well but he's in amongst it and strange challenges that nowadays just wouldn't, wouldn't happen, the, the book no, would be out no. straight away but it's just, a, well that's your first one, we'll let you away with it. So weird in this game though, to further set the tone, to see 
goalkeepers picking up passbacks. Oh. That that's very very alien to witness because it's just something we're not used to. This it's now thirty years on from that. I think the passback rule probably came in shortly after this. Was it ninety two? Was it? I think it may have come in as a reaction to a particularly boring international tournament where you know that, that kind of thing was rife. There was a famous incident back then as well. I think it was Sunis actually. Sunis playing for Rangers turned and booted the ball all the way back to his keeper from like a centre or something or got a free kick just inside his own half and booted it straight back to a keeper. So eventually something had to be done about this. But it's so odd seeing just the routine nature yeah, of the yeah. pass back. So every time, say for example, Celtic had a free kick inside their own half, inside their own sort of 30 yards of the of their own goal line. So let's say every single time they would just knock it back to the keeper, the keeper would pick it up and they'd start again. Just routinely, no other thoughts entered their mind, and it's just, as I say, very, very strange to see all this time on. Yeah, Stephen, there's a point. I think the ball goes over to Dovchek in the second half, out on the left hand side, right against the touchline near the halfway line, and he's getting closed down. And instead of looking up for a pass, he just instinctively turns inside and launches it back to Paki Bonner. I'm like, that's a mental pass, <laughs> but there was, there was no danger at all. But he just no. knew it was safe, and it made me think, like. It would it would be impossible to be a pressing team back then because you just exhaust yourself because yeah. as soon as you pressed they just passed it to the keeper and when you see the goalkeepers in this as well they pick it up they even get the ball outside the box and dribble into the box and pick it up then as well <laughs> yeah. so there's it's absolutely sh- no way it's so shameless <laughs> and when you see the the goalkeepers when when they do pick up the ball. It's not a tactic or anything, it's just a punt because they don't even look up, they don't have a target, it's just shell it as far as I can forward and we'll go from there. As you say, Jamie, it's utterly shameless, it's hilarious to watch (laughs) them. There's there's no wonder it's been stopped and it's made football so much better because you can't get away with that these days. First goal was very early on, Jerry Craney on the end of a, a a pretty good flick on by Tommy Coyne, that was a great header that he won off Amelie's described long punt there. Yeah, he beats Richard Goff to the mm. ball. The normally re- pretty reliable uh, Richard Goff beats him to it and flicks it on for Craney to smash it past Woods. Quite reminiscent, I thought, this goal of Scott McDonald's sometime later. I mean, well, 17, 18, mm. just the way he smashes it past the keeper, kind of holds no, off the defender and smashes it in. Yeah, just it wasn't a carbon copy of it by any means, but it just kind of reminded me of it, the way he just smashed it across himself and the keeper gets nowhere near it. Coin going to touch this. Craney! Jerry Craney in the sixth minute of the match. It's the perfect start for Celtic. Craney gets his tenth goal of the season, but he owes this to Tommy Coyne, who got that good head flick, allowing Craney to get there ahead of Nisbet and leave Woods without an athlete. Absolutely brilliant goal by Craney. A brilliant leap by Tommy Coyne under pressure from Richard Goff, but Craney's made a run just offshore there and fired an unstoppable volley into the bottom corner. First casualty was Rangers. Trevor Stephen carted off on one of those old-fashioned stretchers, helped off by Paul Elliott. Peter Huster comes on. Rangers had already used one of their subs. Yeah, it, it emerged the damaged knee ligaments, and that was him. He was out for the rest of the season. So yeah, a real shame. A real shame. Trevor Stephen was taken out of the game so early on. It was the first, first casualty of several in this game, but first blood to Celtic after you know, 13 minutes. And as you say, a sub down already in a day where not only can you only use two subs, you've only got two yeah. to start. <laughs> two to choose from. Absolutely unbelievable. Hustra, you mentioned he came on and he was a he was a Dutch international, but is, he's now manager of Pactacor in the Uzbekistani Super League. Ooh. Yes, that's Super League in Uzbekistan. <laughs> it, in this game, he's got the most amazing 90s, voluminous, bouncing bowl cut, like a proper big, massive bowl cut. And I can confirm, I'm happy to announce that he has still got it to this day. Still carrying that bowl cut 30 years on. That was a Rangers thing of the era, wasn't it? Because Richard Goff still oh. still clinging on to that haircut of his. Oh, yeah. Conditioning everywhere, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. Um, what's his name? With the, the Kiwi and the hair, Stephen. The guy we always make fun of every podcast. Stuart McCall. Oh, Gordon Smith. Gordon Smith. He's oh, still Gordon got it. Smith Melly, you just mentioned it. Stuart McCall still got it. Mark Haley held on to his for way too long. <laughs> Far too long. 
Mark. He had near, near enough a Hulk Hogan Aye. towards the end, didn't he? <laughs> Neil McCann, he held on to his for way too long <laughs> as well. All these Huns, it's because it's the glory years and they just want to hold on to the glory years. Oh, yeah. So I can understand why Houston are still rocking the ball cut. A team that uses Timothy together, wins together, <laughs> as the old saying goes. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? It's not only Huns, because we, Joe Miller, has got the same haircut today as he did in this game. And you know what? Credit to Joe. One of the best players in the park. He was absolutely sensational. Probably the best player, like forward, forward-wise, because he, he gets the ball and he just runs and mm. Rangers don't have any option or ideas what to do. They just take him out every time. They just mm. take tons of taking him out. He's absolutely brilliant. And sort of Celtic, they get the ball forward quickly, but one of their main things is give the ball to Miller and he just takes on. It doesn't matter if there's two or three of them, he'll take them on every time and he always seems to just when Yankees going to get tackled, he'll move it inside them, and we won so many free kicks for Celtic. Subject of the cruel but famous song, Jojo, Average Joe, Average Joe Miller, <laughs> of course, from the terraces. <laughs> but yeah, a real handful in this game, a real handful. He had scored the goal in the aforementioned cup final that was Celtic's last trophy, the Joe Miller Cup final in 1989. Already mentioned him for his bold choice of haircuts. He was still clinging on to it, as you say, Jamie. Prior to him being my favourite Scottish football columnist of all time, he was actually a footballer back then. Uh, he, he, of course, having written the famous headline about how Julian Faubert is going to be a better signing for Rangers than Scott Brown is for Celtic <laughs> back, back then. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. I used to love his columns because it was always so forthright. It was always, it, even written on the page, it would be things like, no, listen to me. No, no believe you me. I've got, I was always just so obnoxiously forthright but believe it or not he used to be a footballer and he plays in this game and we talk a lot about Rangers tactics in this such as they are but it's very much a case of just launch it to Mark Gately because he was a stereotypical English number nine the big man up front they would just launch the ball to him guy of pedigree though he'd previously played for AC Milan and he had won League 1 back in the day mm-hmm. with Monaco prior to playing for Rangers an English international as well just when you're talking there, Stephen, about Rangers' tactic was to just boot it up to him. Now, this game is, when I was watching it, I was like, Paul Elliott is an absolute monster here. Oh. Right from the start, so I went back and started the game again, just so I could consciously count it up. Now, as you say, Rangers launched up to Mark Haley. He was a very good number nine, I think he's yeah. number, number ten in this game, but good number nine, hold up, hold up the ball, win flick-ons. But in this in this game I counted for the whole game but from the first half Paul Elliott has nine duels against Mark Hately he wins every single one of them are you bringing modern day stats into a match from 1991 really? yep I was going to Joe. You know I've actually I actually thought to myself I was going to talk about how unfortunately we don't have access to the type of stats from then from that back then but I'd be willing to bet that Paul Elliott's Jules one would be in the high 90s, but Melly has just confirmed it is 100%. That's absolutely uh, unbelievable. Paul Elliott is monstrous in this game, absolutely monstrous. And he carries the reputation of being Celtic's best centre-half of the day for a reason, because he's absolutely imperious in this game. Can I get a thing past him? See, now watching this game, I kind of get it when... The old Celtic Daz or all that. Like you need a big, a big guy to go and clear it because is the only tactic. Celtic's tactic is to get it forward quickly, and Rangers is to get it forward quickly. These punts from the keepers, and you needed a centre half like Paul Elliott to just go and smash it away, head in the way, just do anything because that was the, that was the tactic. That was how you were going to stop things. So I can get why people always say, "Oh, you need a big centre." Football's completely changed now, and you don't need that. But watching this game is so it's so obvious to see. We've spoken about Paul Elliott before and said that even back then he looks like a thoroughly modern footballer. And Mm -hmm. you can see in this game, it's like you've dropped a player from the 2000s into a football match in 1991. He just, I I mean, strolls it, doesn't even come close. There's nothing in this game that Paul Elliott can't take care of. Even the, he was a classy footballer, but as you say, well, even the rough and tumble of this game, he handled it with ease. No, he's he's absolutely brilliant. A closest at the back and... It's brilliant to watch. It is, it is old school, but it's just brilliant seeing a guy just running, heading the ball away every time because it was so obvious in the game. Was like, this guy is winning absolutely everything <laughs> against a really good striker here. Yeah, looked the part as well, big Paul Elliott. Absolutely looked the part. Oh, where he's, 
his jerry curl and everything looked looked a million bucks out there. Oh, and the short shorts as well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the shorts were no joke about seven inches long. Absolutely amazing nineties fashion. Just see what you were saying there, Stephen, about bringing modern day statistics into this game. I think if you've seen it and you went, oh. It, the, it was 51 to 49. You'd think, oh, that must be the possession. No, that would be the fouls committed in this game, <laughs> wouldn't it? it is, it's unbelievable. And of course, the, the Celtic add another goal and we'll, we'll talk about that in a wee second. But just towards the end of the second half, there is a wee flurry of bookings that, that just start to set the tone for how the rest of the game is going to go. Mark Walters, who is a good pal of Paul Elliott as well, he actually, the guy that Paul Elliott credits with bringing him to Scotland, selling the, the move to Celtic to him because it's it's quite unusual, I suppose, for a guy like Paul Elliott to come from Italy where he'd been playing yeah. to Scotland rather than back home and it was apparently Mark, Mark Walters who had convinced him to do it. That as well as his previous working relationship with Billy McNeil. But Mark Walters is booked and so is Mo Johnston, much to the mm-hmm. loud delight of the Celtic fans as well. But just a hint that things are starting to creep slightly out of control just towards half time. Shortly before half time, though, Celtic managed to double their lead. Terry Hullock involved <laughs> in this one. <laughs> yeah, Terry Hullock, you could feel it coming. He, he fouls Jerry Craney, and Celtic get the free kick about 30, 35 yards out. And it's one of those ones where Dovchik's lining up for it. I'm like, mate, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's not exactly dead centre or anything. It's over to the left a wee bit. And he runs up and smashes it, and Hullock's standing in the edge of the box to block it, and he just sticks a leg out, which it deflects off and goes over the keeper. So an absolute disaster for Hullock. He gives away the foul and he deflects it past the keeper and that's Celtic 2-0 up. That's well stopped and deflected! 2-0 to Celtic! Terry Dobczyk takes the credit with the help of a deflection of Peter off Terry Hullock. Bad love here at Celtic Park. 37 minutes of the first half gone. 2-0 to Celtic. And here's the effort from Darius Dovchek, thundering the ball forward. That appeared to come off Terry Harlock. And once again, Chris Woods had no chance of stopping that. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? 
Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Beleaguered Terry Harlock <laughs> yeah, by this point. By I think we, point, can all, really we can all agree, beleaguered. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's like a comical... Oh, I think Dovchek is credited with it, but it's basically an own goal because Harlock yeah. sticks a leg out and just... Just Woods has to kind of haplessly watch as it goes over his head from about 18 yards. He's fuming. Woods is absolutely yeah. fuming at this. <laughs> so, with Celtic 2 0 up, basically that's the football out the way. The, 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 <laughs> the, all the football's out the way. The first half's gone. Celtic are already cruising. And we can get right down to the real stuff here the fighting, the tackles, the niggles, the leaving the boots in, the off the ball incidents, the elbows, the punching. It, it was all in this second half, Stephen. Oh, yeah. There was, I suppose we talk quite a lot on this podcast now about setting the tone for what was to come in this half, but there was a, a hilarious moment quite early on in the, the second half when the aforementioned Peter Hustra goes clean through after being played through by some good hold-up play from Mark Haley. But he did that thing that we're all familiar with, right? Oh. Where you go for a shot and you accidentally just tap it with your standing yes. foot and the ball <laughs> moves a centimetre out of line and you swing your shooting foot wildly across it and just swipe it about 10 yards wide of it goal. It looks so pathetic. That is a hilarious guy. <laughs> but yes, it was all to it was all to descend into madness. And it was Celtic that started it. Celtic yeah. Celtic started the barrage of red cards that was to come in the second half. You're right, it descends into elbows and everybody just kind of running and bouncing off each other. As we as you said earlier, it's a knockout, total wipeout type of type of stuff going on. Takeshi's castle on the football pitch going on, but <laughs> pe- no such thing for Peter Grant sending off. This was a moment of sheer nonsense. Unbelievable. Sheer nonsense hilarity. I feel like Peter Grant has always struck me as a bit of a dopey character <laughs> in football. Very good Celtic man, but yes, I know the greatest. Like hopelessly devoted to Celtic kind of oh, thing. Oh, God, I. Uh, the doting husband to, to Celtic <laughs> Football Club is Peter Grant. And this is the dumbest sending off I think I've ever oh. seen in football. He's, who is it that's lining up to take the free kick? Is it Ferguson? Now, Ferguson's lining up to take the free kick that Peter Grant gave him and was booked for that free kick. So whilst Peter Grant's standing in the wall, Ferguson lines up to take the shot. And as the referee blows the whistle, but before Ferguson takes the free kick, Peter Grant runs out and charges the shot down, which <laughs> presumably at the time was against it. I'm sure there's a similar rule at football at the moment, but that was obviously against the rule because the referee was so quick to blow a point and give him a second yellow card for that. And even the commentators were like, he's broken the rule. He's bro-. As if there's a golden rule in football that I wasn't familiar with. They just kept calling it the rule. He's broken the rule. Yep, Peter Grant's broken the rule. It looks like he's, this is going to be a, a yellow, second yellow card. The dumbest, dumbest sending off I've ever seen. Uh, his first booking was understandable because he just commits a, quote, professional foul on Mo Johnston as he's kind of breaking through. What saves Peter Grant is that he's just about not the last man other players are kind of converging on Johnston because there's a lot of debate in the commentary over was Grant going to go for that? Is he going to be uh, given a straight Mm -hmm. red for the professional foul? But seconds later, he does what you just described and charges down a free kick. See, by the time this free kick is taken, he's basically on top of it. (laughs) (laughs) Ferguson just runs up and scuds it off Peter Grant who is about six inches away from the ball. It's unbelievable rush of blood to the head. Now, very few people in Celtic's history embody more the he gets it than Peter Grant, right? As you said, the, the devoted husband to Celtic is the biggest Celtic man going. But, but calm down, big man. Just, just settle down. Just let them take the free kick. Goodness me. So uh, he, he's sent off for an incredible sequence of events that take place in about 30 seconds. Well, Ian Ferguson lining up this free kick. He has tremendous power in his right boot. Charged down by Grant. And Grant is now in there. very serious trouble. He's being ordered off. Peter Grant is on and off for charging the free kick too early. Paul McStay protesting vehemently to the referee. But it's Peter Grant who will take no further part in the match. The second ordering off of the season. He was ordered off against Hibbs on the 5th of January. We'll see how this happened. 
It came from the free kick, which Ian Ferguson went to take. There's Grant number four on the edge of the wall. He's already off his mark. And there is the breach of the rules, which has resulted in the early departure for Grant. He said after it, it was my only old firm red card and I'd rather have been sent off for punching someone. <laughs> no wonder. When you, when you tell people it was for charging down a free kick, you become a bit of a laughing stock. I remember thinking if we lost the game, I would get it. But moments later, I heard a set of studs coming down the tunnel and then another and it was the Rangers boys who were in bother. <laughs> As you said, Stephen, Peter Grant heard some studs coming down. Now, if anybody hasn't seen this game and they were listening to us talking about it and I said... A Rangers player will be sent off next. I think everybody could kind of guess who it's going to be. <laughs> Step forward, Terry Harlock, up there, and a lovely elbow on Tommy Coy. Just so needless. He's just, yeah. they're, it's just, it's of off the ball, and they're just a wee, that way, try and get away from each other. And he just swings this elbow around right in front of everybody. Uh, so, Peter Grant heard the sharpened studs of Harlock coming down the tunnel after he was already in the dressing room. Tommy Coyne lightly bumped into him. Lightly bumped in him after trying to stop, they basically just brush up against each other. Terry Harlock fully just swings the forearm slash elbow right into his coupon. <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable. But at this point, as I said, head's gone. This yeah. game is starting yeah. to spiral out of control, and it was a matter of time before that animal Harlock was going to be sent off. Elliot will not be denied in the air for Celtic. And there's a backlash by Harlock. Harlock's in trouble. He's clearly going to be ordered off. There can be no other outcome. He lashed out there after the ball had gone. And Terry Harlock looking there. It's the right-hand pocket. It's a red card for Terry Harlock. The victim was Tommy Coyne. An act of complete folly by Harlock. Right in front of the referee's eyes. And Terry Harlock makes the long, lonely walk to the dressing room. Going past the Rangers dugout there, Walter Smith gazes out without making any reference to Harlock. So here was Harlock, the challenge came in from Coyne, Harlock didn't appreciate it, and then you'll see him lashing out there with the right arm. That's why he was on and off, and really, I think the referee had no option at all. It's a busy couple of minutes for Paul Elliott as well. Again, heads one away and then the resulting shot from it hits off him and gives him a bit of a bloody nose. Then after that, he has 18 duels with Mark Hately in this game. Wins 16 and one of the two he loses is this where him and Hately go up. Hately elbows him and gets booked for it. So technically he only loses one duel out of the 18 he has with Mark Hately this game. It's unbelievable. Astonishing and something you, you just mentioned there. My, my favourite moment in the entire game, in a fairly eventful game for many of the wrong reasons, is when Paul Elliott headed it to the edge of the box and then somebody winds up for like a pile driving shot and he just throws himself in the way of it. It's hard to work out from the replays exactly where it hits him, but he ends up with blood coming out his mouth and people were speculating whether it hit him in the stomach. And I'm like, so it hit him so hard in the stomach that he's <laughs> coughing up blood. Right? So it it gets dragged off for treatment because there's, there's blood all over him at this point. And when he's gone over, he sees Mark McNally warming up and about to come on. And he decides that he's not going to be subbed. He's like, no, no. Mm. Like, people are trying to escort him off the pitch and they're having to drag him and he just refuses to be subbed. They eventually, the guy taking him off starts pulling at the back of his jersey as if to suggest, no, no, we just need to change your jersey. It's fine, you can go back on. But they look as if they're making the substitution. It says that in commentary as well. well Mark McNally's been prepared to replace Paul Elliott and he just refuses to go off. He goes off for a little bit of treatment and then comes running back on and the crowd absolutely erupts again and they're all singing one Paul Elliott. It's absolutely a, a joy to watch. Mel, you mentioned Haley being booked for a foul on Elliott which Jock Brown describes as persistent infringements uh, in the commentary. And Haley responds by, he tells the ref to come to him to book him. So now the, the ref will kind of gesture a player over to show him his number and be booked. Haley says, no, you come to me and starts pointing at his feet. And I'm just like, oh, this is glorious. They're absolutely losing the plot. <laughs> Head's gone. <laughs> there was a lot of talk after the game just kept saying that like, there's a lot of focus on the referee. I guess his name mm. was Andrew Waddle. So, you know, the Rangers fans, uh, after the game, immediately sort of blamed the ref. I think it was his first old firm game. I think that probably didn't help him. But that, it, again, looking at fault. him, it's, 
It was, no, I, he was really left with no choice for all of these games. Do you know his, his next match was a the European Cup quarter final between Real Madrid and Spartak Moscow? So they, <laughs> pa- they packed him off to manage Real, uh, referee Real Madrid in the European Cup just after this game. But I don't think the ref done anything, especially especially for the Mark Walters one, which was both off the ball. I'm pretty sure it was a slap or a punch to the face, and right in front of the referee. He could, there was literally nothing he could have done about any of it. plays away and there's just nothing to it. it's like Hullock as well it's one of those ones that see if there had been a bit a bit of to and fro or a bit of aggro in the, well there was aggro in the game but it wasn't as if oh it's going to kick off between the two it's just a, a nothing right, right in yeah. front of the ref as well the, the, the heads have definitely gone here yeah well Walters he has several goes at Tommy Coyne to paint a picture here it's one of those ones where the two players come together and he has a wee boot out at him and then he has another one and then he chases him for about 10 yards and then smashes him again it's poor Tommy Coyne yeah, as you said earlier Melly is absolutely going through the walls in this game but you know full credit to him for, for tolerating it in the name in the name of getting the game won and the, the brawling doesn't stop because next up fully lost their kill now completely out of control Mark Haley sticks one in the chin of Anton Rogan <laughs> just, just socks him in the chin but, the ref doesn't see it. For a change, the ref doesn't see this one, but his assistant grasses the two of them in, right. so there's that, there's some kind of altercation going on and the assistant alerts the ref to it, who books both of them, and Haley has to walk because he's previously been booked. He's blown kisses to the Celtic support as he's <laughs> making his way off, or as we like to call it, doing the natural novel. All of a sudden, he's playing up to the crowd on his way off. Also, worth noting, that I've forgot to mention through all these sending-offs, something that you don't see now, Anytime someone's sent off, a policeman in the old style police mm. jacket before it was all high vis, you know, one of the big wool coats that they used to wear, um, they're led up the tunnel by a policeman. Uh, Walter Smith also, I noted, doesn't look at any of his players. Not him. Um, yeah, it's Walter Smith <laughs> on the tu- on the yeah. touchline. Doesn't look at any of the players as they get sent off. He just does the <laughs> the thousand yard stare as they walk past them, escorted by a police officer up the tunnel. And there's more trouble over on the far side. Now, what's going on here? The linesman is involved. Anton Rogan clutching his face. Mark Hatley was in the vicinity, and the linesman George Kerr is now explaining to referee Waddle what happened. Now, Mark Hatley has already been booked. Richard Goff is across, so is Paul Elliott. Rogan is going to be booked for his part, but it looks as though Mark Hatley is going to be ordered off. If he's called across at all, and if he's involved, he can only be shown one colour of card. He's been called back by Andrew Waddle, so it's a booking, is it, or is it a red card for both? A yellow it is for Rogan, and it's a red for Hatley. The long walk for Mark Hatley, he lost his head without question as the game wore on, and the inevitable result is an early bath. It must be difficult to comprehend what exactly is going on. I mean, <laughs> to see several of your own players <laughs> walking like, past you in Semper Nelly like Bath the, is absolutely unbelievable. It's like Walter Smith is like the captain of some ship. He's like, oh, I'm losing on I'm losing on me, Damien. <laughs> He's shooting up to Sunnis. is losing the fucking plot. It's, they're going, it's because they're chasing the treble here. He's like, oh, I'm losing our captain. Can he control it? <laughs> the whole thing's just going to shit. Mark Walters is punching people. Mark Haley's punching Anton Rogan is fucking <laughs> going to absolute pot meanwhile Sunnis is watching for the stands get up him right I, I mean it, it's completely gone tits up for, for a number of reasons in this game but Alex McLeish I think it is in commentary mm. remarks that despite it being four red cards it hasn't been a dirty game and that the red cards <laughs> have all been for quote petty silly things <laughs> Have three of them not been for elbows and punches? Yeah, they have, aye, and off the ball incidents or not. And that's not even it. I mean, we're not, I, don't, I still don't feel like we're doing this justice. It was So those are the red cards, right? But if you think about it, all you're getting sent off for in this game is a punch to the face. That's mm. not, there's too many, there's so many, like on Joe Miller especially, just wild challenges. 
like yeah, lunging nah, things yeah. and studs off the ground and kicking them up in the air and Joe's just bouncing off folk left, right and centre. There's hundreds of that that just goes completely unpunished in this Aye. game. Complete, a couple on McStay as well. McStay, yeah. who has... It's not, it's not his greatest game in a Celtic, uh, Celtic shirt, of course, but there's a couple of moments of real real magic from him. Just got a couple of wee glimpses in there where he takes the ball in tight spaces, moves it in between two Rangers players, and then it just gets brought down. It just gets sandwiched yeah. or booted up in the air. Mo Johnston does him as well in a tackle that would 100% result in a second booking mm. these days as well, if not harsher than that as well. So you're right, there's so much of it going on. See, nowadays, this would get football stopped. Like we've had, <laughs> remember the shame game with Lennon and McCoyst when all they did was argue with each other? There's guys yeah. flinging digs here and there could have been at least two more players sent off in this oh. for each team. It's wild, man. I mean, this was called the shame game because obviously football uh, football reporters like things that rhyme. But I mean, this, is, this apparently spilled out after the game as well, there was like fighting on mm. the streets and fighting in the stands. Like it just, <laughs> everyone lost their collective minds. Celtic fans now singing No Huns at Hamden, which I found very, very enjoyable as well. Great song. Mm. Still time for a couple of bookings. Nisbet brings down John Collins on the left. Just a, a standard, just putting him up in the air. Just a standard fill. Still time for a couple of bookings to be recorded. One final chance though for Celtic to finish it off as Anton Rogan cut in and shot Coin tries to divert it past the keeper. He tries to kind of just get a wee nick on it, but he just screws it wide with his head. And the reason I mention that is because Celtic should have buried them. They should have absolutely yeah. pumped them that day to come out 2-0 winners. 2-0 comfortable winners and played really well. Blew them away, actually. But to think that that wasn't a good 5 or 6-0 is kind of a source of... It must be a source of regret for those Celtic players and the Celtic manager because he could have really you know, sent a message there, especially when they were down to eight men. Towards the end, it was still, there was still about another ten minutes to go, and they had eight players in the pitch. Unbelievable! So the game finishes up, and almost immediately, Graham Souness comes out and apologises for the conduct of his players. Didn't yeah. that didn't do much really to quell the criticism? And, and nor should it, because you know the tabloids are always going to write this sort of stuff. But they absolutely hammered Rangers. Funnily enough, it was saying you know there's some reports in the papers that, of the time that I was reading online that this is hampered, this is damaged Rangers' reputation for a long time to come. And I thought to myself. I mean, they might have done some bad things. I don't know if their reputation was. I don't know if their reputation was up to necessarily up to scratch. Um, but soon as apologised. But Billy McNeil had a lot to say after the game as well, didn't he, Stephen? He did. A uh, visibly upset Billy McNeil was talking to Rob McLean. It must have been a young Rob, Rob oh, McLean at the time on the just in the tunnel as well. He's visibly upset Billy McNeil. He can't have been happy with his players' treatment, and he talks of deserving to win. But the, the important thing was that Celtic didn't lose their composure. Really, that was an amazing game. Um, well, we felt before it, Rob, if we were allowed to play football, then we would win. We did play football and we did win. The most important aspect about it, that's not to be forgotten, is that we played the football here today, we were entitled to win, and we never lost our composure, which was more important. The draw for the semi-finals is tomorrow. Celtic lost out on penalties last season. Is this the season in the cup for Celtic? Well, we're certainly in the semi-final. Delighted for that. This was a big obstacle. We came through it with some ease, and I'm absolutely delighted. My players deserve every credit and every praise for the performance today. Happy St. Patrick's Day for Celtic. Certainly is. Certainly is. Well done. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Grimson is he, he apologised immediately after the game for his players' conduct, saying they needed to take a good look at themselves after that behaviour. He didn't think they were capable of of that kind of thing. <laughs> Graham Souness in there with this stuff, eh? Graham Souness. But the papers, yeah, the papers were quite harsh on them. But even that, even some of the tabloids, which were probably very much in the in the palm of David Murray's sweaty hands at this point, they were they just turned immediately to who Rangers were going to sign next. They just started linking them with yet more English-based players. They were linked with Mark Wright, the Liverpool mm -hmm. centre-half, Tony DeRigo, who was another English international, I think he was at Chelsea at the time, and even, as described in the Daily Star, Palace's up-and-coming Ian Wright. They were linked Ooh. with Ian Wright uh, right after the game as well. Unfortunately, it was us that managed to pit Rangers to the post <laughs> for his signature. <laughs> Ten years later, yeah. <laughs> not, not, well, not, nine years later, yeah. Not nine years later. Straight after this game, it's a league game between Celtic and Rangers. Now, Rangers changed their squad about, but it doesn't change their fortune. Celtic beat them 3-0 with goals from Anton Rogan, Joe Millen, Tommy Coyne, but Celtic 
they, they can't really get going after this. They win these two games and you think that would be the springboard, but they end up losing the league, obviously, to Rangers, but they get Motherwell in the Cup semi-final and they draw 0-0, draw goes to a replay and they're beaten 4-2, so it's mm. going to be a trophyless season for us again. Melly, why did Rangers move their squad about for the following game? Did they have a couple of uh, suspensions <laughs> to deal with in the, in the following game by any chance? Well, soon as actually left Rangers shortly after that, I think it was maybe after that 3-0 game uh, that Celtic beat them the very next week. So he he was off to join Liverpool and I think he, he's spoken since about how he kind of regrets that. He regrets like, having left Rangers in the manner he did. He re- regrets having butted heads so much with the SFA and things like that. He said that managing and playing in Scotland had affected his health a good bit. Many people won't be aware that within a year of him leaving Rangers, he ended up having like open heart surgery. Yeah. He was like getting quadruple bypasses and things like that. He's only 38. So not a well man at this point. And he, he seems to think that playing or managing Rangers and being in that constant spotlight and constant arguments with the SFA didn't do him any favours at all. Before we move too far away from the game though, just want to go over some of the player ratings from the daily record back in the day. Rangers, they had a couple of threes. Mark Walters got a four because despite the fact they get sent off, he was Rangers' most dangerous forward. But across the board, apart from that, twos left and right. Terry Hurlock, two. Trevor Stephen, two. Ian Ferguson, two. Mo Johnston, two. T- Tom, Tom Cowan, two. Peter Hooster, two. And a special one star for Stuart Monroe. Clearly suffered from lack of match practice and felt the pressure. One star. Over to Celtic, though. Darius Jovcek stood out with a four. Couple of threes in there. Joe Miller got a four. Tommy Coyne, four. Jerry Craney, four. But man of the match, by a country mile, was Mr. Paul Elliott. I don't know if you'll go along with this, but there were always suggestions that you were sort of targeted by referees and picked up a lot of undeserved bookings. Is that something you were conscious of while you were playing, or is it just one of these things that snowballs and, and becomes... Yeah, I, I wasn't rude. I mean, I remember one year, I probably had about 12, 13, maybe even 14 yellow cards, wasn't I, it? I, I, I was really, going to ask, it, I, apparently 16, you know, 16 bookings, wow. apparently. Well, yeah, and I mean, I, I think that, you know, clearly my career, I've, I've never picked up as many yellow cards in my career as I did in that, in that whole season, maybe not, but... I just think that was just part of the adjustment from coming from Italy, you know, in in a kind of particular environment, trying then to sort of reconnect into a different environment. And I just thought that was part of the transition. It's part of the change. Yeah. And I think as a consequence, you know, with me being injured as well for a short while, you know, I had, it was all about timing and the timing of my challenges. And, uh, I think sometimes, yeah, you, you know, you think, oh, am I being sort of got at and am I being singled out? But I wasn't really. I think that was just down to me trying to settle, trying to play, yeah. you know, the game that I've always played. And that was, and as I found that once I was 100% fit, you know, you know, I, I virtually got booked thereafter in my second season because a lot of the play, once I was 100% fit, I would part of the game that I developed very well in Italy was, you know, intercepting the play as opposed to confrontation. So I could see the ball shape how the fullback was going to play the centre half or the midfield and actually nick in front of the defender and, and, you know, and come away with the ball. You know, obviously when you play against centre, centre forwards like Mark Haightley, Duncan Ferguson, that was different because that was big, you know, strong confrontation between two powerful men. Absolutely. So that was different. So I wasn't really unfairly targeted. No, I, I don't think so. I just think that was part of the the adjustment and the transition I had to make from one country to another, where you had, you know, the game in Italy was almost pedestrian at times to the flash of the field, whereas Scotland it was just back to back, end to end for a relentless ninety minutes. Well, the talk of bookings leads me nicely on to the next significant game of of sort of marked here, the seventeenth of March, nineteen ninety one which is a game known as the St. Patrick's Day Massacre in the Scottish Cup at Celtic <laughs> Park, in which yeah, four yeah. players were sent off, but not yeah. one of those was Paul Elliott. So what happened there? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, maybe that was just part of me. That was confirmation of how I settled into the game, you know, my temperament, you know, sort of... Um, it all just calmed down, didn't it, really? And I remember yeah. the game clearly. I think it was Jerry Creaney had an outstanding game on the day. He was superb. Trigger, we used to call him. He played extremely well and... 
I think then it was a real, real comprehensive uh, victory and a deserved victory because we really played well on the day and deserved to go through. So I think at that point I realised, you know, I was needed more on the pitch than off it. And uh, I think there was a lot more others that had to focus for other reasons, you know, more than myself on the pitch. Well, I mean, this is an unashamed Celtic fans podcast and we do fondly remember great performances against against Rangers for obvious reasons mm-hmm. but the the match report for that game the daily record actually gave you five stars naming you the game's outstanding player brilliant well, in the air and an inspiration so strong yeah, words yeah wow yeah I mean you know I was pleased um, I mean I was I'm the kind of guy I try and get on with everybody I know that journalists have got a job to do and you know there's local bias and there's all type of things that go on but ultimately the good people's kind of didn't judge you who you played for what you look like where you come from they just judged you on your talent and how you impacted and influenced and influenced the game and i think hopefully that was a kind of part of my legacy part of the cultivation while i was there that people just judged me as a footballer i was a celtic player but I was Paul Elliott at the end of the day, playing for a fantastic team. And, and, with all, and I would have made the same effort, energy, determination, will to win if I was playing for Rangers or Partick Thistle, St Mirren, Dundee United, Aberdeen. It wouldn't have made no difference to me yeah. because uh, it was my job. I was a professional. And uh, hopefully, you know, my independence, whilst my loyalty was to my, to my club, you know, Celtic, you know, I, I tried to sort of set an example in, in, in Scotland um, by being there and engaging with the locals. And, um, you know, because I love the life there. I love going out socially there. Love meeting the local people. You know, I just love the, uh, the honour, the integrity, the humility, the sincerity and the earnestness amongst the, the Scottish and Irish people in Scotland. That really, that really had a profound effect on me in a very positive way. Would you say that was probably your best performance for Celtic against Rangers? Because you you actually scored twice against them, and those goals are, yeah. are mostly what you're remembered for. But yeah, I think because it's a huge game. I personally, I think there were other games where I thought, you know, I remember some other games that I played that I felt really good and played well. I suppose because of those games, the profile, the significance, the local rivalry, you know, the, the, you know, they're, they're, those are the games that probably the intensity of the historical 100 years rivalry between the two clubs, you know, that tends to lend itself to more scrutiny, doesn't it? And I appreciate that. Um, So I understood that. But, you know, I'm sure there are other games that I've played just as well as and made the same impact, but they're against different opposition that probably never yielded the same type of profile as, as a Celtic Rangers game. Just to give you an idea of how Celtic's season panned out, as Melly said, we reached the semi-final of the Scottish Cup. We didn't win the League Cup. We were uh, beaten by Rangers in the League Cup final there. Rangers went on to do the double that season, winning the League and the League Cup. Celtic finished third on 41 points. They only finished two goals ahead of Dundee United in fourth place on exactly the same points as Dundee United did qualified for the UEFA Cup first round. This is only not so far off Celtic when they were winning things, but this is the start of it, isn't it? This is Celtic sort of creeping back down the table and just getting ahead of Dundee United and then it's after this where the, we start to really see the Celtic plummet down the league. Yeah, well, Billy McNeil, this was his second time in the job and he wasn't there for too much longer either. And then we started getting into the realms of Liam Brady and Lou McCarry and those yeah. all those days. So, we, yeah, as we teed up much earlier on, we weren't quite into the doldrums of the 90s just yet, but it had begun. It had begun and it clearly had begun. So this was... This was kind of a an oasis in the early part of the 90s. It's a comparison we've made before when we were in the middle of Brendan Rodgers' time and the dominance that Celtic had over Rangers then. We compared it and we kind of realised that even back then, Celtic were capable of beating Rangers. Oh, yes. They were still, still capable of landing the odd blow here and there. Didn't win any trophies, of course, for a long time, up until 1995. But they were still capable of putting together a team that would compete with them on well, the pitch and beat them in the odd time. It was it was other results that they did for Celtic and you know things were to go from bad to worse in, further into the 90s. But the same couldn't be said for when Rangers were supposedly kind of down and out against Brendan Rodgers' team. They, they couldn't land a glove on them, but well, at least Celtic were able to do that back then. And it's very prescient that you should say that, Stephen, because you kind of took some of the air out of my balloon 
um, a wee bit, but I'm going to make my point anyway. And but what this game does show you, or does show you, is even the worst Celtic teams could leave one on their chin. Do you know what I mean? Even the worst yeah. Celtic teams could leave one on Rangers. And the Celtic team that are approaching this match this weekend as we lead into this game, we, we are nowhere near as far behind the Rangers as we used to be. And if this no. Celtic team for 1991 can stick one on the chin of Rangers, then this team for bloody 2021 should be able to go at this weekend and stick one on the chin of Rangers. If, if, this, if this game can show you anything... It's that you, even the worst Celtic teams, as you say, can lay a glove on these boys. Absolutely. And about 30 years on from this game, hopefully a good omen to come. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.